Do you like the person you see yourself being right now? If you don't like the person you're being right now, how about celebrating the fact that you see that? In care, that's what we try to do. We celebrate our goddess, and we celebrate the fact that we see our ain't goddess. If you don't like where you're starting tonight, take a moment to feel good about noticing that and taking a slow, deep breath that allows you to begin to relax into the possibility of change. To relax into the possibility of change. And just to notice what would happen if you recognize that you were actually royalty. How many of you here are royalty? How many of you are royalty and don't know your royalty? I'm royalty. I'm what you call oaky royalty. <laughs> you never guess why I'm an oaky, right? <laughs> I'm from Nebraska, but I, I count Kansas, Nebraska, Oklahoma. I kind of put them all together. But I'm a king's kid. That's what being a Christian means. I'm royalty. That's not something to brag about because I didn't earn it. But it does need to be a part of my self-esteem, doesn't it? To begin to appreciate who we are becoming like. Who we are evolving toward in our lives. Not that we're there, but the fact that we're on a journey. That's what's important, is that we're in a spiritual relationship with God. Relationship is at the very heart of recovery. Relationship is at the very heart of Christianity. That spiritual interaction is at the very key to understanding the whole process. Oh yeah, it's up there. In order to try to think about relationship and, and spirituality, I came up with six T's. Being as how I have a learning disability and my dyslexia, I thought it was cute to come up with something with letters. The first T is time. This is the common disease of the 1990s. It's truly a disease. We're so harried, we're so fractured, we're so scattered with this whole issue of time that it's that it's hard to, 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 to even set priorities. The urgent takes such priority over the important. The urgent takes priority over the important. Really understand that. That has to do with time to a large extent. We need to become aware of ourselves in the present, the here and now principle. You cannot make change yesterday. How many of you would like to go to the party I had yesterday? Okay, it's a, we had a great time. How many, how many do you want to come? You can't come to a party yesterday, can you? It's not possible to make changes, to have not done what you did yesterday. All you can do is learn from it, own it, and choose differently in the present. That you can do in the present. Can you change in the future? No. You can change in the present so the future is changed. Yeah. 
but you cannot change in the in the future. You can only change in the present. And so we often try, particularly getting back to this road is narrow, we often try really hard to be aware. Okay? You guys ready to change? Okay now. I want you to be on guard. One way of being aware is a boxer. That's the Western world's way. The boxer. I want you to all get make fists and tighten them up as tight as you can. Get those knuckles nice and white. Tighter. Tighter. And just keep it that way for 20 years. <laughs> it's like dieting, you know? You try to diet, you create an eating disorder. Because you try not to think about food. You try so hard. That's one way, and that's the way many people as Christians, that's how the way many people in recovery approach recovery and Christianity. White-knuckled sobriety, you're familiar with that term, where you're just, just holding yourself together by sheer will from meeting to meeting. White-knuckled Christianity is very similar. I'm just trying, hoping God won't notice what a wretch I am. Of course, God knows everything, so he's going to know you're a wretch. Oh, well. Maybe there's grace. <laughs> Maybe we can start out being wretches and move forward. If we can move away from this isometric constriction. When I was in high school, I was a wrestler. And the reason for that was because you didn't have to catch a ball. <laughs> That's real important, because I couldn't catch a ball. But I could be stubborn. And so when I was growing up in, in high school, I wrestled for three years. I won one match when a guy got lazy. When he was pinning me, he was ahead about 100 to nothing. And got a little too close, and I flipped over and pinned him. He was so surprised that he didn't understand what had happened. I won one match in three years. But I was never pinned. They called me rubberneck. <laughs> I would spend most of my time on my back with the other person bouncing on my chest to pin me. My coach would send me up a weight class because the person in the next weight class up would get pinned. He knew I had not a chance in the world of winning, but I would just stay on my neck and bridge and it just bounce and bounce and bounce. And I remember in Livingston, Got done with the match after six minutes, the score is 173 to nothing, or something close to that. And afterwards, the final bell ended. I passed out. I mean, literally, I'd been on my back for six minutes. So my teammates come out, pick me up, carry me, and I get a standing ovation. <laughs> this guy's going, oh, wait a minute, I won the match. Why is he? But I stayed in the present. All I knew is at this moment, I'm not getting pinned. I don't know about the next moment, but right now, I'm not getting pinned, and I'm just going to kind of relax into bridging. And I just kept breathing, and he kept bouncing, and I kept breathing and bridging, and he kept bouncing. And I bridged and breathed longer than he bounced. <laughs> and so the team got a couple extra points by me not being pinned. That's Christianity. In the present, bridging. It's like Aikido, it's martial arts. Relaxing into the present, 
being aware in the present rather than defending yourself. One allows the Holy Spirit to flow through you. The other cuts off and constricts the Holy Spirit. Defending, denying, protecting yourself cuts off the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know about you guys. I like to do things the easy way. If I have resources, I'd rather use them. I don't want to cut them off. One joke we have in care is, you know, when somebody says, you know, why didn't I do this? Or, you know, they look back, looking through the rearview mirror is one of the one of the chapters. And you see all the mess you made. Why didn't I do this? You know, you learn some new skills. Why didn't I do that? Why didn't I do this? And what they always say is, when you answer this question, then you can answer your question, our question first. Why didn't Custer use Uzis at the Battle of Little Bighorn? I mean, men lost their lives because he didn't use Uzis. I mean, did people lose their lives because of what you didn't do? Because of what you didn't know? But the fact is, he could not use Uzis until they were invented. And you cannot use tools and principles until they're yours. And if it takes you a day, a week, a year, 10 years, 20 years to get those tools and principles, it takes that long. But if you're grumping about it and beating yourself up about it and hating yourself for how long it takes, it takes longer. <laughs> so if you want to take a long, long time, try to hate yourself into recovery. Now, it's good for business, OK? <laughs> I shouldn't knock it, but it doesn't work. You can't hate yourself into recovery. But if you allow yourself to take the time in the present, in the present, change becomes possible. I want you to really think about something here. The Lord says, keep your eyes on me. You know that? I wonder if that's an ego trip. I don't think so. If it's not an ego trip, why does he want us to keep our eyes on him? Could it be that if we have our eyes on what we don't like, that we're going to end up getting into a wreck? I'm assuming all of you want happiness and healthiness. Is that accurate? To be happy and healthy and all that? Okay, if you can do the next exercise, I guarantee you'll get it. Happiness and healthiness. You ready? Your life depends on doing this correctly. No pressure. Don't think of green. Don't, don't, don't think of green. Don't get that green out of your thought. Don't think of it. Don't think. Don't, don't, don't think of green. Don't think of green. Don't do it. Now, how many of you didn't think of green? Now, how many of you weren't thinking of green until I said, don't think of green? <laughs> you know that Paul came up with this 2,000 years ago? When he says in Romans, until the law came along, I didn't think much about coveting. And once the law said, don't covet, I started coveting everything I could think of. <laughs> you see, when we're thinking about what we don't want to do, that becomes what we're obsessed with. If we want to lose weight, we end up thinking about food. If we want to be free to be in healthy relationships, 
we end up thinking about are we lovable enough? We, we, we keep looking in the wrong direction. And yet, Paul says in Romans also, we're not given a spirit of fear, but of sonship, of adoption, of, of, of relationship with God. So when we keep our eyes on God, if we keep our eyes on our big brother, and keep focusing on his belief in us, yeah, we may be bridging a lot. And sometimes we may even get pinned. But he'll come and carry us off the mat. And the chances of succeeding are much greater. Much, much greater. We need to be very careful of the time machine. It's one of the filters in, in the handbook where we get into the time machine and we think about all the bad things of the past and we're actually re-experiencing it. We leave the present. Or we're anticipating something in the future. We actually experience that bad thing happening in the future before it even happens. We pay the toll over and over and over before we even get there. We get to the toll bridge. Finally, we have no change left. We can't cross the bridge. That's what happens in life, truly. truly does. We need to have time for ourselves. We need to have time for others. We need to have time for God. Spending time in Scripture, not because we have to, not because we should, but it's a way of, of being able to curl up with our Father and hear what He's got to say. Spending time with our big brother with His arm around us. Feeling time with the Spirit where we're feeling the power of that coming forward. Um, Bob, could you put the next one on for a minute and you'll have to put that one back again. Yeah. We need to understand what we're, what we're perceiving through. We need to understand that when we value what we value, that becomes our filter. If what we, fil if what we filter is, I've got to be perfect. Now really, look at a paradox here. This is great paradox. How many of you really enjoy being around a perfect person? I mean, someone who's truly perfect. Perfect in everything they do. How many of you really feel comfortable being around a person like that? Any of you really say, I want to find a perfect person to be around because I feel comfortable being around perfect people? Any of you? I don't. Personally, I like people with some flaws. <laughs> so I can fit in. <laughs> and see, that's not, that's not humility, that's accuracy. I have a lot of flaws. I'm in transit. We're all in transit. And yet we try so hard to be perfect, we have filters that say, I must be perfect or I can't even start the action, whatever the action happens to be. We try to be something that if we succeeded in being that thing, no one would want to be around us. How many of you struggle with perfectionism? Some of you are sitting there saying, well, see, yeah, I'm, I'm perfectionistic, but am I really perfectly perfectionistic? <laughs> Should I raise my hand and be... <laughs> sort of makes it a little complicated, doesn't it? We need to be aware of our filters. Every human being has filters. We all have filters. We need to know what are the assumptions and the beliefs that we are working under. What is our commentator, the voice in our head, and the images that we have? What are those things communicating to us on a regular basis? What are our emotions saying and the sensations in our body? 
so often what happens is we try to, to again with the white knuckle Christianity, try to have Christianity from the neck up and cut off all our terrible, sinful feelings. Any of you ever try to supervise a kid that you hated and wouldn't go around? There's no supervision if there's no love. And if you're going to supervise yourself below the neck, you need to change your attitude toward you below the neck. The supervision is what makes it possible to make changes. So be aware of those filters that we're having. We need to think about God. We need to think about the nature of God. Who is he? What's his purpose for us? This is where we really get into trouble, I think. My sense, God has one primary purpose for Jim Henman, and that's the development of my soul. He probably has the same goal for Howard. So if I'm mad at Howard, I need to remember God has the same goal for Howard that he has for Jim. Isn't that a bummer? Doesn't it show God has bad taste sometimes, that he loves somebody else as much as he loves us? Well, someday we'll understand this. But our soul, our character, is what God cares about. Not about the Mercedes, not about the fancy cars, not about the good looks. God values our character. How do we build character? By making choices. There's no other way I know to build character other than to make choices. In an age of knowledge, and we are, in fact, in an age of knowledge and information, we are starving for wisdom. As a society, as individuals, we're so bombarded with knowledge, we're starving for wisdom. Wisdom is the, is the mind of God, from my perception. And if we allow ourselves to choose to be like our big brother, we choose imperfectly to be imperfectly like our big brother in the things that we do on a day-to-day -day basis, then no matter what we go through, it doesn't really matter what we go through. I mean, it, it makes a difference in terms of how comfortable it is. And I wish Debbie didn't have the seizure she has. But I know that, that that niece of mine has more character in her retarded little finger than many people I've seen in their whole body. Her circumstance sucks canal water. That's clinical talk. <laughs> but she chooses, and she chooses within the limitations of her ability. Her soul is bigger than most people I know. And yet we say to ourselves, you know, how come, you know, the whiners from Saturday Night Live, you know, with diverticulitis, you know, Richard and Wendy whiner, you know, we're, we're all caught up in whining about bad things that happen. Now, it's okay to do that. I'm not judging that. It doesn't build soul muscle. It doesn't build character. If we never have any adversity, if we never have anything difficult to deal with, how do we build up those muscles? So we're busy being mad at God for making me dyslexic or giving me sons or, or having Debbie have seizures. 
God doesn't, I don't believe God makes bad things happen. It's not in the nature of God, I don't believe, generally speaking, to make bad things happen. I don't think God makes Debbie have seizures. But he does allow bad things to happen because choice is that important. You can't have choice if every time you choose wrong, ah, nope, you know what I mean? When you're a little tiny kid, like, like a year and a half old, you're kind of toddling around, you think you have choices, but you don't because your whole environment is manipulated by your parents. It's called childproofing. Y'all, y'all know <laughs> about childproofing. You don't put your china right down in child leg. You know your environment is manipulating you. But the fact is, we've got to understand through our filters what's important. Now, I don't like pain. I hate pain, and I will do everything in my power to have things comfortable for me. Just like my sister is doing everything she can to help Debbie not have seizures. There's nothing wrong with not having seizures. But if you're going to have seizures, and that's where the serenity prayer comes in, God grant me the ability to, to handle what I have to handle, change the things that I can change, and know the wisdom to know the difference. He doesn't want us to suffer needlessly. If we can find the right medication for Debbie, way to go. If we can't, way to go. We do what we can and the rest we turn over. Now, I'm not real good at turning over. Many people who speak from the pulpit are mature Christians. Bob knew in advance that he was asking an adolescent Christian. I became a Christian as an adolescent in my own mentality. I'm an adolescent to this day because that's the way I am. You know, I question everything and I struggle with it. And then I relax and go along with it. But so did David. Didn't he? Didn't he always have a, you know, God, let's do it differently? You know, why don't you go smite those bad guys? You know, he was railing on to this and that all the time. David was always in rebellion. God loved him because he didn't, he didn't wuss out. <laughs> Another clinical talk. <laughs> I may be at the podium, but I'm still Jim, I'm afraid. <laughs> God's goal, and we need to keep this in our filter is to develop the Christ nature in our soul and character, to develop the Christ nature that when we become Christians is fully formed in us. Once we become a Christian, we're no longer a sinner in our nature. Did you know that? It doesn't mean we don't keep sinning. <laughs> if you use me as an example, you can, you're, you're sure of it. You know, I mean, I'd blow it right and left. That's not the point. At the point that we become Christians, Christ becomes fully formed in our soul. Now, getting access to that has a lot to do with recovery, I think. Because, you know, if he's going to put his law on our heart and we're disconnected from the neck down, we have a reading problem. <laughs> okay? If we try to white-knuckle it, it cuts off the heart, doesn't it? So we need to understand that, yes, we have this power in us. 
and we have very, very imperfect access to it. But that's the nature of who we are, is to develop more and more access to the Christ nature in us. And secondly, to join in the greater body of Christ to do God's purpose. Now see, as a kid, I wanted to be accepted by somebody. I wanted to be on somebody's team. I'm on the first string team now. You know what a kick that is for me? As much of an imperfect person as I am, to be a first-class member of a first-class team is beyond my wildest dreams as a kid. And yet I am. First-class member of first-class team. It is truly a come-as-you-are party. And it is a free ticket that we need to accept in order to have value. God's promise on the other side is to share his plan and his principles in Scripture. And that's important. Also, though, to go through life with us and to provide strength to the Holy Spirit. So he knows that we're in a very dangerous, precarious location called Earth. A very imperfect place where really bad stuff happens to good people and good stuff happens to bad people. That's the way it is. He warns us about that. But he goes through it with us. We don't have to go through it alone. And those are not just words. The more real that becomes, the more real you feel that arm around you, the, the, that penetrating look in, in, from his eyes into your eyes that has no condemnation. I mean, when you're absolutely going north to Turlock from Modesto, and when you're going the absolute wrong direction, there's still no condemnation. Okay? You need to understand that. This whole thing of entitlement and, and freedom really makes Christianity difficult. I think it's harder to be a Christian in the United States than anywhere else in the world. It's harder to be a Christian in the United States because there isn't persecution. There's some discrimination. If you, if you don't know that, you don't know about political correctness. I'm just being politically incorrect right and left here tonight. But there isn't persecution, at least not yet. Persecution makes faith more three-dimensional. When there is no persecution, when there's no cost involved, it's much harder for it to have substance. Okay? Preparing to give this talk, preparing to share what I'm sharing with you, has really given substance because I, I didn't know how it would be received. But whether it's received or not was secondary. Willing to do what he asked me to do was primary. I couldn't have said that prior in my recovery. He's more important to me than you guys are. No offense, but it'll always be that way. We need to understand also that we have to give thought to others, not just thought to God, the nature of God, but thought to others. To understand, one thing we talk about selective movies in the handbook, that other people have a very different movie of a situation than we do. So Bob may have one view of it, I may have a different view. To give thought means to consider what would Bob's perception of the situation be. That's the gift of thought to Bob. 
to ask what my perception is would be the gift of thought to Jim. So we need to give thought. It's imperative to give thought. Third, talking is extremely important. The third T is talking. The tone, the attitude of that conversation. A picture I love of talking, and I think we need to keep it, I think we lose sight of this a lot, is Abraham and Isaac. You remember when they were going to do their barbecue? And Isaac was going to be the main event? Because Isaac was the most precious thing that Abraham had. And so God said, give me Isaac. Abraham said, okay. Now I want you to follow this. This is an AT&T commercial. Yeah, God, you want me to what? Say, huh? Okay. Hangs up the phone. Goes out. Does the job. Right? Isn't that how it happened? He did kill Isaac, didn't he? He didn't? God told him to. Ah, maybe instead of hanging up, you want me to what? Okay, hold on. Okay, I'm here. Okay, now I got the knife. Okay, now now let me. Are you sure? Okay, what's next? He kept on the line, didn't he? Think about that. If Abraham had hung up the phone and gone out, Isaac would have been dead. Again, everything else following that would have been different. The model is keep on the phone. Keep talking throughout the process. Don't just get your instruction to go off on your own. Keep talking to God throughout the process, throughout the day. I can't tell you how many times I've had situations where I said, okay, big guy, you handle this one because I can't. I don't know what to say. I just turn it over. He usually does a better job than I do. I like it. I like it that way. We need to know how we talk to others. Are we giving them a, a respect? Are we, like I said before, are we appreciating their, their movies? Are we giving room to hear what they have to say? Are we open to hearing what needs to be heard? And the tone of voice of the commentator inside of ourselves, that voice inside our own heads. I want you to take time to listen to how you talk to yourself. The tone, the attitude, the inflection in your voice. For most adult children, it goes something like this. Sit up! What's the matter with you? You're so stupid! What's the matter? Doesn't that make you feel secure? Doesn't that make your esteem just bubble up and well up in your chest? We need to allow the adult, the new program adult, which is that Christ nature in us, to be speaking through the microphone more. We need that voice to become reflecting of our big brother rather than reflecting how we have talked to ourselves in old program. The tone and the attitude needs to be grace-filled rather than legalistic and demanding and perfectionistic. Trust is the fifth T. I am not talking about blind trust, blind faith. I don't believe in blind faith. I believe in 2020 faith. 2020 faith. And part of that trust that we need to understand 
in terms of trusting God, is the fact that he warned us we're in a danger zone. So don't turn around and blame him for it when it happens. He warned us about it. So that's not an issue of trust with God. But he didn't say we wouldn't have any adversity. You look through the book, what do you find? Almost everyone that was for him got clobbered. You know? You think about the, the, the big guns in the, in, in the Old or New Testament. You want to trade places with Paul? Hassled from city to city, nipping at, at his heels. The Jews would follow him and just taunt him. They'd stone him, leave him for dead. You know, Peter was crucified. The stoning of uh, Stephen. Does this sound like God promising us to have uh, a rose garden? No. So don't allow tough circumstance to be an issue of trusting God, because he didn't promise us a rose garden. But we do need to trust that he does keep his word. And his word is he will go through it with us. If we keep our eyes on him, we can learn from our ain't got it and move forward. That's what he promises. He'll go through it with us. And we know that the end of the story is a happy ending. That's all we know. That we can trust with 2020 faith. In terms of trusting others, I trust Muriel. I've known Muriel for years, and yet it's 2020 faith. If Muriel was doing something that was hurtful to me, I trust me to trust her enough to protect her from bruising me. I'll say, Muriel, I really can't let you do that to me. And I trust her to either accept that or not accept it. I trust her to do that or one or the other. If she accepts it, great. If she doesn't, we'll talk about it some more. But I'm not going to allow her to hurt me. It's not okay to let someone else abuse you. God doesn't expect King's kids to be doormats. Royalty is not doormats. Royalty is the process of realizing that many things that the earth values aren't really that important. Jesus says, hey, you want your coat? <laughs> Give me your shirt too. What he's saying there is that a lot of things of this earth really aren't that important. But that's only the case if you've gotten to that point. If you're a baby Christian, don't go away giving your clothes. You know, it's not going to work. And with ourselves, the commitment is to stay on the path. That's our commitment, is to stay on the path. Even when we're up to our eyeballs and ain't got it, we're still committed to the path. That's where we have our trust. Temperament is the next to the last. I'm running a little behind here. I'll Evelyn Woodhead speed talking. The vest and the lantern is an extremely important imagery. One of my other nieces drew this one. Kelly. The vest and the lantern is the vest of new program, is the, is the principles and the tools of new program. Like I said, 2,000-year-old new program. The lantern is the lantern of openness and curiosity. I believe it to be the Holy Spirit. For myself, it's the Holy Spirit. I light, I light that light out there. And if, if Muriel says, you know, Jim, you really blew it on such and such a situation, I'll look that, hold that lantern out there. Oh, great, thanks for telling me. Because I don't have to judge me for my mistakes. 
I do need to learn from my mistakes, but there's no condemnation. Really hear that. There's no condemnation. So if we can get beyond judging, whether it's judging ourselves or judging others, we can move away from the sword and shield and move toward that vest and lantern where the issue has to do with the situations on, on the table at that moment, rather than whether I'm a good person or whether you're a good person. The personhood ends up being accepted as being a value. The actions are, are what we're going to discuss. Do you hear the difference? If my being is being attacked, it's very hard not to defend. But even if, uh, say, John was attacking my, my character, if John's attacking my character, number one, he doesn't define my reality. It's another principle in the handbook. He doesn't define my reality. I simply realize he thinks my character thinks. That's interesting. You hold that lantern out there and take a look at it. I don't think it's my character. I think it's my armpit, John. Let's look at it a little bit more and see what we can come up with. But when I don't defend, when I don't defend, the power of the Spirit is there. If you watch an interaction between one person who is using the vest and lantern, another person using the sword and shield, the vest and lantern will, will come out ahead most of the time. It really will. Because it's like Columbo. You watch Columbo? You know, he just uses curiosity. Or, you know, I just, just one, he's got his little cigar and he's got his rumpled up old trench coat. I just, just one thing, Howard, I, I just can't get it out of my mind. And before Howard confesses to murder, you know, there's no proof. But, All right, I did it, I did it. Take me away, get me away from Columbo. <laughs> Columbo uses curiosity, doesn't he? Just one more question. You hold that lantern out there, you, you wear your vest to keep you safe because you realize we're all fallible human beings. You realize we're starting where we're starting. You realize that we choose, we make a decision for mutual respect and valuing. These are, the, are, the, are what make up that vest, if you will. And with that, you don't have to be afraid. You really don't have to be afraid. Now, when you first start, it takes practice. You know, it isn't something you just come up with. It takes practice. Anything worth doing takes practice. But the temperament, the temperament is what we need to keep in mind. We need to understand that we're free in grace to follow the owner's manual and to follow it imperfectly. The quality of our lives is the result of our decisions. We're free to follow the owner's manual imperfectly. The more imperfectly we follow it, the more our engines are going to tend to be kind of sludgy. Fine. That's okay. That's, that's for us. But we have the right to choose to follow that owner's manual imperfectly. And the same with ourselves and the same with, we're not going to do anything perfectly, guys. It's just the way it is. And what that leads to is the feeling of transparency. The key 
to the Christian walk, the key to the recovering walk, is transparency. And I don't mean bananas. Okay? You've got bananas, you've got onions. You've got bananas, you've got onions. Bum, bum, bum. Let's see if you're still awake. A banana you peel once, right? I mean, am I with you? You all peel the banana? Yes, Jim, we feel now get on with it, will you? <laughs> we tend to think of transparency like a banana. We take off our outer protection once for all time. That's not the way it is. It's like an onion. And you peel and a, and a layer comes off, and you peel and a layer comes off, and you peel and a layer comes off. Fifteen years into my recovery, I'm much more transparent than I was fifteen years ago. I'm more transparent, I will be more transparent in the future than I am right now. You can stand that. <laughs> but the transparency comes out of the powerful vulnerability. The powerful vulnerability says, I accept that I am where I am right now. I don't like some of the things about where I am right now, but I am where I am right now. I often, when I first became a Christian, I, I prayed to want, to want, to want, to want to change certain things in my life. Now, isn't that a strong commitment? Doesn't that just make you feel like, well, that guy's really got it solid as far as the spirituality goes? Fifteen years later, fourteen years later, however long it was, many of those are now changed. Some of them have been moved up to want to change. A few of the real tough ones are still want to want to change fourteen years later. But you've got to start where you're starting. What is so sad to me is, particularly as Christians, is when we sit in the pews afraid that someone's going to realize that we're not perfect and that we won't be accepted in the club. And yet the club is for all of us imperfect people. There's no room in this club for perfect people. There's only one perfect person. Look what happened to him. They strung him up. And you want to be perfectionistic? I'll be imperfect, thanks. We need to understand that it's an onion, not a banana. The transparency is a process. And you're not equally transparent with all people. One of the reasons for the care groups, and I'm so glad to be here tonight because of, of Houston starting a new care group, Care groups are designed to have a safe place to peel your onion. No fault learning is what we call it, which is another way of saying applied grace. It's not a banana. It's not something you do once for all time. You peel it, and sometimes the layers come back. You peel it, and they come back. But in that peeling process, I want to be very clear about one thing. The masks that we've learned to wear for survival are the part of self that needs to die. There's a real confusion in scripture about you know, having to put the old self to death. It's not those wounded kids inside that need to die. What needs to die is the masks that we've learned to wear to survive. Those need to be allowed to atrophy. 
to die off. The masks need to be learning to die off. Those precious kids inside, whether it be Jimmy, age four, six, ten, whatever, and their adult age kids as well, those are the very parts of Jim that Christ died for. Those are the very parts of Jim that the Holy Spirit is just aching to be able to get to across that bridge from those blocked feelings that we saw earlier. So we're not having to kill off parts of ourselves that are imperfect. What needs to die slowly and gradually are the masks that block our transparency. Because in our transparency, the Lord can use us for his bigger purpose, both developing our own soul muscles through choosing accurately and in doing things that he wants us to do with other people. He doesn't want robots. He wants relationship. Really think about that. That's what God wants. That's what he wants us to have with each other. That's what he wants us to have with ourselves is relationship. Just take a moment to feel that. Just to experience your own relationship with God, with others, with yourself. Take two or three slow, deep breaths and just feel those different dimensions of the pie. Without judging, just noticing. Just noticing. As you breathe in that awareness, realize that you have a choice. If you like what you see, celebrate it. Enjoy it. If you don't like what you see, start by celebrating the fact that you see it. And then begin to use the tools and the principles to make changes, to peel the onion one layer at a time. Thank you very much. It's not bad being from the pulpit. My mom, I'll tell you one little quick, I know you think, oh God, he's going to start over again. No, I'm not. I got to show you one thing I was going to tell you earlier. My, when I was three years old, I used a lot of big words. And my mom used to say to me when I was, that, when I was real little, you know, someday you're going to be a preacher. I'm not, I'm a psychologist. But uh, here I am up at the, I started called the podium. It's the pulpit, I guess, isn't it? Uh, in the church, it's the pulpit. And here I are. So, and there's my mommy. <laughs> Let's give her a hand. <laughs> Thank you all very much. I hope you'll give CARE a chance, those of you that have not given the opportunity to it. There's going to be a great meeting here in Houston. On the back of the one flyer are different meetings in Modesto, Atwater, Merced, Manteca. Give it a chance. Give it a chance. And that concludes Transforming Grace, Healing the Wounds that Bind. Thank you.